Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words in the upper left-hand corner that say Start Here, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, Before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you do that and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, I'll see that 
message in the uh, switchboard and turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. As an alternative to that, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And if we get a message from you through an email, we will address that on the show and then send you a message as time allows as to what day and time that was discussed. And you can listen back for the input or feedback through the archives which is just another tool that Michael and Jeannie maintained to help people have access to these teachings. So, what's on your mind for today? How can we support you? What would be of most use for you to discuss or get feedback on or get clarification on? related to these tools. I have been doing a little work trying to get uh, some modification of the website mindshiftersacademy.org in an attempt to make the um, the archives from last year where we were reading the way of mastery with commentary I'm I'm doing the work to try and make that more accessible. And the way I'm trying to do that is to break it up into smaller segments so that currently, especially if you're on a mobile device, if you try to open up the, the web page for a Way of Mastery with Commentary, it has the whole year's um, audio files listed on one page. So I'm breaking it up into chapter or lesson one and lesson two. Um, maybe I'll put all f- one, two, and three on one page. But so far, if you go to that mindshiftersacademy.org website and get into the menu, the last item on the menu is Way of Master with Commentary Lessons 1 and 2. And I'm in the process of uploading the rest of the Lesson 2 files there. In that way, when people click on that web page, especially, as I said, from a mobile device, it will load much more quickly. Currently, it's... um, Um, torturously slow, I'd say, based on what we're used to in terms of speed of accessing websites. So, um, that's just a little something that I've been doing, and we have plenty of time for comments and questions, answers and testimonials. 563-999-3581. And uh, if nobody puts a hand up, we can go back into reading 
either from the Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment or from a walk in the physical. Area code 610, Susan. Hi. Hello. I'm so taken with this Golas thing. So I, I have something I'd like to ask you about in it. And I there are no page numbers on this document. So <clears throat> Well, I don't know. I, you, you, you keep saying there's no page numbers on it, but the one you sent me certainly has page numbers on it. Oh, good. Well, mine doesn't. So uh, I don't know what to say about that. So it, it has a table of contents in the beginning, and it lists 24 pages total. Okay. Let me go backwards from there. Okay, four, three, twenty-two, twenty-one, twenty. Page twenty, I guess. Just past halfway down. The the paragraph begins. Indeed, your perception of others is colored. You see that. this in the segment titled what is real yes i have it so indeed okay, your good. perception of others is colored by your own limited vibrations until you reach the higher levels so you have no way of knowing exactly what it is you're trying to change on the other hand you do control yeah. your own vibration level absolutely and that's all the freedom you need to govern your own relationships and experiences this is my question, that second sentence. On the other hand, you do control your own vibration level. Absolutely. I, I realize that you can intend to do that. You can want to do that. You can pray about that. You can do worksheets about that. But in the end, and I did two completely, seemingly fruitless worksheets yesterday that ended up how do you feel now that you've done the worksheet? Just as crappy as ever was my answer. And so I thought, well, at least I have a lot of information down on this page. But the next day I woke up and I was in a very different state. It didn't seem as if there was a direct connection between having done two what seemed like fruitless worksheets yesterday to being so much better today. So I feel sort of as if I don't have control over my vibration level. It's a matter of grace and accident. Well, you know, I, I would have to uh, agree and validate your experience, but then also point out that we don't know what we don't know. And, you know, it's like the, the Michael Singer I was listening to this morning, the uh, Living Untethered book, and he's talking about the very same kind of thing and, and saying it's okay that you can't consciously direct it because there's so much momentum for old patterns, etc. And yet the fact that you're reading a book like this, the fact that you're questioning this at all is all you need it will all unfold and work out 
and it'll do so more quickly if you quit beating yourself up over not reaching the goals or expectations that you're imagining you should reach because things are happening beyond your conscious logical registering and and perception and they always are they always are because the conscious logical registering and perception is so critically limited I mean, we we have this tiny, tiny little subset of data that even reaches our senses, and we're able to be aware of one fraction of 1% of what reaches our senses. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I was beating myself up. I was just curious. I was just thinking... Okay, I'm busy loving myself, even though I'm at a complete loss. Well, uh, when you say, and, but when 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 you say these worksheets were completely worthless or useless, that mm-hmm. carries with it the and implication judgment. of the yeah. beating yourself up, right? Yeah. yeah. Judging them as negative, judging yourself as maybe not doing them effectively, or whatever. And all we're trying to point out here is that that's not productive. Yeah. That's not useful. True. Mm-hmm. So in spite of all that, last night I had probably the hardest discussion with Jacob, my grandson, that I've ever had. He was on a manic rant insulting his mother, insisting she never loved him, she never appreciated him, and I'm just listening, and it went on for two hours. Once in a while, I would say, if there was something I could relate to, I'd say, oh, I know how you feel about that, or I know what you mean. I didn't mean to reinforce. Now, was was he doing this in front of his mother? No, no. He was on the phone with me. He does not live at home. He was at college. He's living in an apartment. He has not gotten a job. He's angry with the world for being the way it is. He says, I'm an artist, and I'm going to be homeless. And here you are. You're my grandparents, and you've got plenty of money, but you're not going to give it to me. He's very, very angry that we haven't pledged to support him for the rest of his life because he's an artist. And it goes on and on and on full of blame. And once in a while, he'll backpedal a little and say, I know I'm blaming a lot, but this is the way it is. And he lambastes double AA. He he confessed that he's been drinking and using weed every night because it calms him down, whereas he's telling his mother that he's uh, sober and I am not going to report and play the triangle thing. I'm going to just let that sit there. Um, in this book, and I don't know the page, it's toward the end, it basically says, any time you may feel you need to change somebody or offer them advice, this isn't right. I wish I could find it because that's really a poor interpretation of translation. Um, It was a relief to know that 
I don't have to do anything. You've said that all along from different things, like the way of mastery. You need to do nothing. I did nothing except listen and hold the space of love for him, breathe. And one thing I did is I said, Jacob Boone, are you breathing? And he said, no, I haven't been breathing. And I said, okay, let's just take a breath here because you're really taxing yourself tremendously by this and you're very, very upset and you're scared. I know you're scared. Okay, I'm breathing, I'm breathing, he says. And so then we, we go on and finally I say, Jake, it's an hour past my bedtime. I'm going to go to bed. Let's talk more tomorrow. What are you doing tonight? It was already nine something. And he said, well, Bella's coming over. Now, Bella is this young woman who he's embarrassed to be seen with because she's not very good looking. But she gets him, or at least she's totally patient and allowing with him. And they spend a lot of time together. And I'm thinking, thank God for this angel of a woman who doesn't mind that he lives in total squalor in his apartment. He doesn't mind his rants. She joins him in their kind of weird humor. It's like God is good. He sent this companion to him, and they spend a lot of time together. But I wish I could find that place. It's more like just saying what a relief it is to have read this. Um, Note, I think I found it. Note that when you try to help someone, you are working against his natural, perhaps unconscious effort to bring you down. No, that's not, but I wrote his name beside it. I don't think he's trying to bring me down. Maybe he is, but basically it's just saying don't try to change anybody or anything because they're doing just what they need to do right now. And I know that's from other readings we've done. But these, this little book has come along just at the right time, which just amazes me. Um, I wish I could find the very sentence because it was. Well, the critical anyway. part of it is that it's just, it's very much the same as basically every other deep spiritual tome that we've tapped into, and it's just resonating differently for you. But it's the same yeah. message over and over and over again. It is. So there's no magic. Well, in the words, except for how they resonate for you at that point in time. Yeah. Which seems miraculous. Well, but also, little as, as we've talked about before, it isn't happening in a vacuum. It's happening because you've been reading all of these other things and doing your own work and trying to step into a pattern of thought that says, I want to take more responsibility for the emotions I create. Mm-hmm. All of that has led to the point where this book can touch you at a different level. This is a consoling thing I read about, Jake. Your attention is always life-giving. It will make him in this case, Jacob, feel that you don't believe his game, do it, wait a minute, your attention, it will make him feel stable and loved, and he can go up 
from there if he wants to. I'm reading ahead to see if it... I'm going to read ahead even though I'm not quite sure what I'm into here. You can even tell him in words that you don't believe his game. Well, I'm not doing that. Do it while you are bandaging his wounds or feeding him or giving him money. Don't act superior to him. You aren't. You are his equal. Ignore the sin and love the sinner. Yeah, all of that is just helpful. Otherwise, I would just be in a panic thinking, I've got to teach him something. I've got to change something. I've got to save him. And those feelings do come up. But And he's in awful trouble with his mother. He she gets scared. She gets all worried. She tries to tell him he's got to get a job. He's got to do this and that. He's not doing that. He's expecting to be given money. That's aggravating. I find that really aggravating. But he says, well, you guys have the money. What am I supposed to do? Work at Chicken Guy and make $8 an hour and have a miserable time. Meanwhile, I could be writing my music. He's got a point, you know. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Okay. He doesn't have a point there. Because that's not a point. That's just arguing the same thing. You know, you should give me, you should give me, you should give me. That's not a valid point. You know, I remember one time I just flashed on this. I remember one time reading about Arnold Schwarzenegger and, uh, you know, at the height of his popularity from movies and millions of he used to take his children to third world countries so they mm-hmm. could have some appreciation for what they have. Because if, if all they know is the Hollywood Hills and their friends in school and everybody's getting dropped off in limos and whatnot, they come to think that's life. That's not yeah. life. Mm-hmm. And so loving him is fine, but, you know, don't get... In, into distorting your reality in his distortion, in favor of his distortion. This isn't realistic. You know, not everybody who has money um, gives it all to their kids. And lots right. and lots and lots and millions and millions and millions of people who have all kinds of wonderful talent, artistic and otherwise, have to work for a living. I know, yeah. So there, you know, there, there isn't any valid point to say you should just give me money because you have money and because I'm an artist. Not to mention the fact that the tone with which he's doing it is abusive. It is. And so, you know, at, at a certain level... It's it's very, very useful to point out for yourself to see what it is you're accidentally or otherwise reinforcing in him. Mm-hmm. You know, in that Parenting Power Struggle Handbook thing, I talk to people about how we don't need to teach parents how to set consequences for their kids as much as we need to help parents see and then make wise choices about how they may be inadvertently rewarding behaviors they don't approve of. Mm-hmm. God, I'm guilty of that. Okay. 
Ah, yeah. There's a lot of work to be done here. I'm afraid of his rage. Uh, And he talks about, you know, taking his own life and, oh, boy. And and what's your best response to that? I haven't said anything about that to him. So if he says, I'm thinking of taking my own life, what's your response to that? If he had said it directly in the present, I would say, I'm calling 911. You can't say that to me. But it hasn't come to that. He has mostly said, I have thought of it, and sometimes I think about it. It's not an immediate threat. And then what, and then so what do you say when he says that? I'm sorry you feel so badly. I'm sorry it's so hard for you. Basically, that's okay. what I say. Okay. And then another good response might be, I sure hope you don't. Okay. That's a good one. Yep. Right? I'm I'm sorry that that, yeah. that life is that painful for you, and I sure hope you don't leave us. Mm-hmm. It's about the connection that you're talking about. Yeah. Right, that you're reading about in this work, that you're listening to him, that you're respecting him, that you're not thinking of him as being higher or lower than you. And at the same time, since you're in that intimate relationship as grandmother, you know, as a family member, it's useful to pay attention to what behaviors are you reinforcing or saying are okay by the behaviors that you put out even if your words don't say it's okay yeah so you can listen you can be there you you can talk you know about how you have empathy for them and you can also talk about how by the way this kind of behavior and raging carries consequences people aren't going to want to be around this very much yeah well, I have said things like that, like, Jake, you know, why would anybody want to give you money when you're so angry with them and you're so, you act entitled and you're mad at them if you don't fork over by Ven- Venmo a couple of hundred bucks so you can buy yourself some food. So this is just, there are lots of people in the world who need money badly, starving people and stuff. And I'm not really moved by how you present yourself to us and what you want. You've got to work with us. We'll have a dialogue. Let's listen to each other and and work together so that you're not ending up on the street, that you have to do your part. I have said that to him. And he has calmed down although when I've said that. I didn't say it yesterday, but I texted him this morning and said, I've been thinking about our discussion, and we've both forgotten and gotten out of having dialogues with each other. Let's work together so that you, the worst-case scenario that you fear is not going to happen. I guess that's pretty good, isn't it, Dr. Tim? I have no complaints. <laughs> it's, it's, having a loving, it's having a loving conversation with him. It's staying connected. It's offering, you know, further discussion. It's telling him that you care about him and that you care about the outcome. And at the same time, it's not giving in and forking over money, especially in response Mm -hmm. to his threats or abusive behavior. Mm. 
Yeah. It's great to hear you say that because I feel as if I'm sane and you're sane. When I'm working with a kid like this, we don't have that common ground. There's a kind of a tangent that it goes on a tangent and I kind of lose my footing. Well, it is easy to do. I, when I work with people and they're in any kind of an abusive pattern, whether it's a domestic violence or the verbally abusive relationship pattern or whatever, I, I frequently, if not every time I'm in those, I tell people, look, now that you've identified the kind of pattern you're into with this other person, it's important to understand that you're not likely to be able to break out of it without outside support. And that doesn't mean, you know, you don't have the core strength. That means these patterns are so powerful and they are so unconscious, invisible, that's another you know, way to talk about the unconscious, that when you seek clarity or clarification within that system, you can't get it because there's no clarity in the system. Yeah. So you need this person on the outside to help you evaluate, does this make sense? What might I be missing here? You know, is my perception valid, etc.? And you can almost mm-hmm. never get that from inside the abusive pattern system itself. So whether you have a very healthy friend or you have a therapist that you can run these things past and sort out, that's usually what's needed. It's exceedingly rare in my experience, which now spans over 49 years of doing therapy, to have somebody be able to break out of it from within the system without that outside leverage or resource, you might call it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it would be good to have a a, um, a referee, <laughs> a, a neutral outside person to mediate. And I guess I'm trying to be that person, and I really can't in some cases. Well, yeah, you're in the system. Yeah. Right. And so it, it, it's quite useful for you as someone in the system to have that outside tether, something yeah. that you can be grounded in, something, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a person or a series of people that you can run this by, not for, hey, take my side, but for clarification. Right. Oh, Did you notice that if you look at it from this perspective, it sounds like you're agreeing with him? Oh, do you notice that if you're looking at it from this perspective, your words are saying no, but your actions are saying yes? And and when you get to see that, then you get to make your own decisions about do you keep doing that or you do modify it slightly. But if you don't even understand how your words might be saying no and your actions might be clearly saying yes, then there's nothing for you to change because you think you're doing the most you can do. Yeah. That's true. 
you know, I had somebody in my office earlier today, and we we're talking about some relationship thing, and 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 he, he said at the beginning of, of the session, he said, you know, I, I'm going to need your your feedback on this, and then he went on this long story about interactions between people, and you know, 25 or 30 minutes into it, I said, okay, now where is the part where you want my feedback on this? And then he went on some other, you know, thing, and and then it, I just got this impression. I said, okay, wait a minute. Before we run out of time in the session, let me just say, I don't know that this is happening, but I got this impression that you might be doing this in this relationship to get out of it quickly to jump right into another. And I don't know that that's what might be happening, but it, that's one of the possibilities that's hitting me here. And he said, well, so what's wrong with that? And I said, and nothing wrong with it. You're free to choose that. But if you look at it as though I am your guide, like I'm up in a helicopter watching the territory that you're in and we're talking through walkie-talkies, and I, I can see that you want to take the path on the left, and the path on the left has in it you know, a cliff and a waterfall, I'll, it's my job to tell you that. I can't tell you stay on the main path or go to the right. If you want to take the left-hand path, okay, you're down there. You're going to make the decision for yourself. But if I see that as a, in your path, that's something I point out. And it's like Guy Finley says, in these stories, nobody dies. It's okay if you want to take the left path. You'll make it over the waterfall. You'll survive if you fall off the cliff. It's okay. That's the role of that outside person who isn't saying, oh, no, you've got to stop this and you've got to stop that and you can't keep doing this and you can't keep doing that and I'm right and you're wrong. That's not the outside person's responsibility in this. The kind of tether or anchor from the outside of the abusive pattern is going to be somebody who can just say, here's what it seems like to me. This seems consistent. Have you looked at it from this perspective? Why don't you watch and consider that you might be sending mixed messages, and here's how. That then gives you input from outside the system, and that opens the, a much greater possibility, probability, that you'll get some clarity, that you'll be able to extract yourself from the unproductive pattern. Mm-hmm. But the work is still Thank yours you. to do. You're, you're, you're the only one that can you know, remove yourself from that pattern. Mm. It's kind of like the work that you and your family were doing with Kate Duffy. I'm assuming that's over. Oh, yeah. Gosh, you have a good memory. Yes, that was with Luke, and we did an intervention, and then it didn't seem to take, and we didn't stay in touch with her I'm in touch with her a little now to report how well Luke is doing. And she loves hearing it, of course. But, no, we're not working together anymore. Have right, you worked it's with same, her? It's the same kind of thing. Well, I, I interviewed her and I followed some of her work on you know, Facebook and things, so I know it's solid. But it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's she can't make the changes in your family, but no. she can be the outside source with you know life experiences and that perspective that comes from it's not her child or her grandchild pushing her buttons so she's not going to get yeah. as much distortion 
in her perception as somebody that's you know the parent or the grandparent for that person yeah I wonder if it's possible to do a three-way Zoom inter, you know, interactive something or other. Jake's so far away. Mother's so far away. We're like on different ends of the planet. Well, not that far. He's five hours away, to, and from me. To, to do a to do a three-way Zoom with who? A, a person like like you, <laughs> a therapist, somebody, a mediator. I wonder if Jacob would be willing to do that. I always well, based on what you're saying, it it doesn't sound like it, right? He's not there yet, and if he gets to be at that point and he speaks up, you're the kind of person who would help make that happen. Mm-hmm. However, I can it's ask him. next, it, it, but it's next to impossible for him to you know think that's going to be a great idea if it comes from outside his own head based on the way you're talking about it. Yeah. Mm. So rather than trying to get him to agree to that, it's probably better for you to stay in the role you've been in of loving support and some with some limit setting and patiently await the time that he might awaken and say, wait a minute, this isn't working so well for me. Mhm. That is a great thing to be able to say right there. Jacob, it's been what, 5 years including a year in you know, uh, mental breakdown and so forth. This is his go- he's going into his fifth year of college. The approach we've had hasn't worked. How can we find another way to connect? You might hear that. Mm. Well, and whether he hears it or not, if you hear it and you feel like this is offering all you can and that you're going to be there lovingly holding the space and offering that, that can help you dismantle some of your panic and fear. (laughs) I hate to admit that it's still there, but yep, okay. That's our goal with all of this, is to help people understand. That's the part that you started reading in, um, you know, from the goalless thing. Yeah. Indeed, your perception of others is colored by your own limited vibrations. And until you reach yeah. higher levels, you're, you're seeing... This, this is the Guy Finley story of the person who wakes up in a new kingdom and he gets a, a tour of the house and 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 the minister says, oh, by the way, in, in this wonderful bay window here, you might notice it's highly reflective. And the person says, yeah, that's really irritating. And he says, well, because in this kingdom, you must first see yourself in whatever you're looking at if you're going to see anything accurately. That's the wow. same wisdom that he's talking about here. Indeed, your perception of others is colored by your own limited vibrations. You could say your own limited perceptions. 
And it remains that way until you reach the higher levels. And because of that, you have no way of knowing exactly what it is you're trying to change, either in yourself or this other person. So since you can't control others, let's keep you focused on what you do have control over. You do, however, on the other hand, control your own vibration and that level of vibration within you, absolutely. This is the same thing as you have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. And it's the choice of focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment that is the actual process creating your experience of life in that moment and nothing else. That's the same thing he's saying there, that you control your level of vibration absolutely. Mm. And in the beginning, you're not, you don't know how. And it's right. not like Abraham, Abraham, Abraham Hicks would say, it's got such momentum from what you've been conditioned into and what you've been practicing for decades. It has so much momentum that you're not even aware of it. And so... When that stops, you might, you know, and you might think, oh my, I can't control this. But it's because you're just becoming aware of how the system works. And you're just beginning to exert some conscious effort, right? It's like Michael Rice says, um, when you start doing a reality management worksheet, start with a, a level one or level two upset. Why? Because yeah. anything higher is going to get your emotions triggered quickly, and if your emotions are triggered to a high level, it knocks your logic offline. And it's like, you know, if you've, you take a child and just teach them how to hold a bat, and then the next day, you teach them how to swing, and then the next day you put them in front of a major league baseball pitcher throwing, you know, 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. It's not going to be long before that person, that child or person, doesn't matter how old they are, if they've never held a bat before and never practiced this, where they reach the conclusion that it's impossible to hit that little ball moving that fast with that bat. Now, is that an accurate conclusion? No, because professional baseball players and college athletes do that multiple times every day. Mm. But they don't do it the first time they learn about how to hold the bat and swing. So your idea about being able to be in control of your vibrations when you just recognize, oh my goodness, I'm... I'm not focusing on what I have control over when I focus on somebody outside of me and I want them to change this or that. And then I read a book like this and it says, oh, turn the focus inside because that's what you can control. That's just like the person who's just learned how to hold a bat. They're not going to be able to, you know, hit the 95-mile-an-hour fastball. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means you're in the beginning of a process that isn't going to happen overnight. And it's going to take the application of your, you know, willful conscious energy 
in a direction that's productive. I was hoping that makes sense. It does. One of the hardest things for us to do when we have, you know, great affection for someone is to step into the full realization that we cannot change or control their pain. Right. That is very hard. And, and the kind I of thing see, that I... You can see what? I can see why he is the way he is. I know his history from when he was tiny. And I've often thought a very unhealthy, unproductive thought is I'm not sure he's going to be okay. How is he going to be okay considering what he went through as a little guy? My cat is yakking. (laughs) What were you going to say? Wouldn't it be great if I could remember that? (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. Mm. Yeah, it'll, it's not it'll, a good it'll come to me. Yeah, okay. What's the last thing you remember me saying? You know his history. Right before that, what was I saying? I don't remember. Well, the point is, I can't change anybody else. I can change myself. And mm-hmm. the the most powerful way that I impact others is by living into a better life for myself, by using tools at work, and then living in the demonstration of that better life, of that healthier, less drama-filled life. And then anybody who sees that and wants some of that for themselves can ask me, you know, how how are you doing that? But if Mm. they're not asking for me to show them how I live a better life, then my showing up at their doorstep trying to tell them how to live their own life is not going to go over well. Right. That's true. Well, thanks, Dr. Tim. I found another sentence in here which is absolutely unrelated, but it's a very satisfying sentence to read because something in The Course in Miracles has always stumped me a bit, and this is an answer to it. He says, we cannot rise above the physical plane by denying its reality, which I always figured The Course in Miracles was doing. We must love it and affirm the reality of the live beings who form it. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't work see the, with that. 
Right, but I don't see the Course in Miracles saying anything opposite of that. Oh, okay. Well, it's been a while since I've read it, and maybe I, in our support Well, and and of course, well, think about it in terms of how Michael Rice talks about A Course in Miracles, What is the World? That lesson. Yeah. And he's got a DVD about it, and and he's talked about it in the year that he did the Course in Miracles lessons, you know, every year, or one a day for the, the, the year. And the essence of it is that that's probably one of the most argued about right. concepts in the Course in Miracles. And yet there are some really solid teachers out there, Michael Rice is just one of them, that understand that the Course in Miracles is talking about the world of perception in my mind is what's not real. But there is a world around me. There are other beings of brilliance and light. There are energy fields. It's just that what my mind is showing me about them is not accurate, especially when I'm experiencing a negative emotional state. And what's far more important than me deciding I'm right is reading my mental emotional state and whenever it's in contraction, just like what Mr. Golis is saying, if I'm in in contraction, I need to be in expansion if I'm going to experience more, if I'm going to learn, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to be connected in a useful way to the world around me. I need to be open and expanding. And if I'm in contraction, then I read that and I recognize, okay, Whatever I've decided about the world, this is back to the Course in Miracles talking, whatever I've decided about the world, I sure hope it's wrong. I hope I can choose again. I hope there's a different way to look at this because the actuality of the world is love, is the energy of creation extending and expanding constantly. The truth of Life and creation is extension, creation, and expansion. So if I'm feeling something less than that, it's happening inside me. And there's that error in perception that's driven by an error in thought or driven by goals that in my mind have been connected to things that are less than love. And I don't have to keep feeding my attention and my identification into those patterns. I can release it. I can breathe and soften and expand and ask to be shown something else. And when I do that, I get more in direct contact with the world as the Creator created it, as creation itself is unfolding. This is the same lesson as Michael Singer talking about You know, we are these energy fields and we have this central channel or pathway within us, you could call about where the, you could call it where the the life energy, the chi, the shakti, whatever, is supposed to be flowing. And our true nature is capable of sitting back and just watching that flow the way we would watch a sunrise or a sunset. And just appreciate it for what it is rather than judging it or labeling it or trying to make it different. 
there is this flow of energy, there is this life, there is this experience. What we create about it, interpretations, judgments, contractions, perceptions, that's what's limiting and false. So in each moment that you can breathe and soften and be in the world but not think that you're made of it, understand that you are watching it Mm -hmm. and that you are intended to be an ever-expanding part of the consciousness that can observe, appreciate, enjoy, and be in the bliss state in this flow of life. When you reach that moment-to-moment, then you got a whole different perspective on this experience. So what if, and we, and we hit this a couple other times in the past, what if when you're having this conversation with your grandson, rather than getting all wrought up in it and, oh, my God, how do I say the right thing? And what if you take a breath and step back and be in an observer position and say, isn't it wonderful that I can be here with this, this other soul? in this loving, supportive Mm. way. That's a lovely thought. Right? Mm. Isn't it it great that I can just soften and breathe without trying to say the next right thing? I can soften and Mm. breathe and just extend this appreciation for the beauty of life expressing, extending in form in front of me both for my physical being and my grandson's? What if, mm-hmm. what if instead of thinking that I'm responsible for him and all of his life choices, that I go, this isn't an infant in front of me. This is another soul, another spark of the creative mind. This is a, a, an independent spark of the one mind on its own path. And how wonderful that I can be here and hold the loving space and bring the, not all the knowledge of, but all the energy that comes from these years of searching and spiritual seeking and trying to connect with love and bring that loving presence into the energy field with my, this other soul that I'm calling my grandson. That's you know, great. there's a part... There's a part in the way of mastery where it talks about going to visit my sister who was abusive to me when I was younger. And instead of labeling her as my sister or labeling them as my parents, I just say, I'm going to this event because I'm choosing to go and I'm just going to extend love. Mm. I'm not even going to call the person by their name or label as my sister. I'm just going to go because I choose to go and I'm going to extend the energy of love. You may not remember that part in the way of mastery because many of us don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that, but I do want to do it. Okay. Yeah, it's either in the third or fourth lesson, if I remember correctly, but it's the idea of, you know, labeling a person and everything I know about them and then giving that up and saying, you know, they're, they're not, this this other soul this, that I'm interacting with, this other spirit, this other consciousness, is not just my sister or my boss or my mother or father. It's another being of brilliance and light, just like I am. And I'm just going to go and extend, them to, uh, extend love to them. I'm not going to 
go and say, oh, I'm going to have such a hard time because this is my sister and she used to abuse me when I was younger. Mm. Like a clean slate, a new start. Yeah, yeah. well, understanding like not, that not knowing you know, anything. I've, I've got... Right, I've got a muddy windshield. If I'm seeing, you know, if right. I think I know that, oh, I know who this person is, and she's my sister, and she used to abuse me, and so I wipe the windshield clean. I'll see if I can find that between now and the show tomorrow to um, to bring as a reference point. Maybe I'll maybe I'll, I'll search for it um, on the uh, Kindle version of the Way of Mastery. Maybe I'll find it faster that way. Anyway, speaking of, speaking of that, yes. and before we go, um, John Brightman. Let me send it to you. He said that there is an audio of the Golas paper. He reads the whole thing. I'll forward it to you if you're interested. Sure. Um, yeah, okay. I just thought of it. So, All right, Hayes. All right. Okay. Well, any closing uh, thoughts for us as we wind down our first hour? No, this has been good. Ooh, Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. There's even a little picture of it. All right, it's an audio file or something. Anyway, it's coming through to you right now. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I will mute you okay. so you can listen to the second hour. And thank you for your input today. And I will remind us all that we come from love, we're made of the stuff we call love, we actually are love, and everything else is false, and I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're most welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today is Tuesday, June the 13th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. And while we're waiting on Michael to dial in, we are reading from The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And we have made it to Chapter 6. And this one is called Spiritual Heart. Very few people understand the heart. And, of course, I'll stop right there. We say the heart is the unconscious. You know, when it says take care of the heart for out of it or the issues of life, that is what they're talking about, the unconscious there, not the physical heart that's in your chest. So we'll see what Michael Singer has to say. Very few people understand the heart. In truth, your heart is one of the masterpieces of creation. It is a phenomenal instrument. It has the potential to create vibrations and harmonies that are far beyond the beauty of pianos, strings, or flutes. 
You can hear an instrument, but you can feel your heart. And if you think that you feel an instrument, it's only because it touched your heart. Your heart is an instrument made of extremely subtle energy that few people come to appreciate. What? Your heart. Aria wanted to know what the name of the chapter was. In most human beings, the heart does its work unattended, even though its behavior governs the course of our lives. It is not understood. If at any given point in time the heart happens to open, we fall in love. Okay, they're incorrect there because we are love. It's not something that we do. We don't fall into it. It is who we are. And so that it, part of the time it sounds like they're talking about the physical heart, but um, it's actually different. I'll let Michael talk about that here in a moment. Um, so, because we talk about you know opening their being or opening our heart, we're not talking about opening the physical heart, but opening up that space within us to allow love to flow. If at any given point in time close, the love stops. If the heart happens to hurt, we get angry, and if we stop feeling it altogether, we get empty. All of these different things happen because the heart goes through changes. These energy shifts and variations that take place in the heart run your life. You are so identified with them that you use the words I and me when you refer to what's going on in your heart. But in truth, you are not your heart. You are the experiencer of your heart. And, he, and remember, the title of the chapter is The Spiritual Heart. So he's not really talking about the physical organ that's in your chest. The heart is actually very simple to understand. It is an energy center, a chakra. It is one of the most beautiful and powerful energy centers and one that affects our daily lives. As we have seen, an energy center is an area within your being through which your energy focuses, distributes, and flows. This energy flow has been referred to as Dakti, Spirit, and Chi, and it plays an intricate part in your life. You feel the heart's energy all the time. Think about what it is like to feel love in your heart. Think about what it is like to feel inspiration and enthusiasm pour from your heart. Think about what it is like to feel energy well up in your heart, making you confident and strong. All of this happens because the heart is an energy center. The heart controls the energy flow by opening and closing. This means that the heart, like a valve, can either allow the flow of energy to pass through or it can restrict the flow of energy from passing through. If you observe your heart, you know very well what it feels like when it's open and what it feels like when it's closed. In fact, the state of your heart changes quite regularly. You can be experiencing great feelings of love while in the presence of someone 
until they say something you don't like. And then your heart closes toward them. And you simply don't feel the love anymore. We have all experienced this, but what exactly is causing it? Since we all have to experience the heart, we might as well understand what's going on in there. We begin this analysis by asking a fundamental question. What is it about the structure of the heart center that permits it to close? What you will find is that the heart closes because it becomes blocked by stored, unfinished energy patterns from your past. You need only examine your everyday experiences to understand this. As events take place in this world, they come in through your senses and have an impact on your inner state of being. The experience of these events may bring up some fear, some anxiety, or maybe some love. Different experiences happen inside because of how you take in and digest the world as it passes through you. When you take in the world through your senses, it is actually energy that is coming into your being. Form, its, form itself does not come into your mind or heart. Form stays outside. But it is processed by your senses into energy patterns that your mind and heart can receive and experience. Science explains this sensory process to us. Your eyes are not really windows through which you look out into the world. We talked about that, didn't we, Arya? Your eyes are cameras that send electronic images of the world into you. This is true of all your senses. They sense the world, convert the information, transmit the data through electrical nerve impulses, and then the impressions get rendered in your mind. Your senses are indeed electronic sensing devices. But if the energy patterns that are coming into your psyche create disturbance, you will resist them and not allow them to pass through you. When you do this, the energy patterns actually get blocked within you. I'm going to stop right there and let Michael comment, and I'm going to see what this little girl's asking me here, and I'll be back if I need to read more. Cool. Awesome. Well, it's interesting. There are those in the world today that are saying that we actually have two brains. One of them is in our heads. And the other one's located in the heart, and they're doing all kinds of, you know, Heart Math Institute's doing some great work in that arena if you haven't looked at it. And they're measuring energy potentials and such of the, uh, of the literal physiological expression that we call the heart. And if you go back into the ancient Aramaic, you remember that they said, take care of the heart. Now, my take of that would be, when they were saying that in the Aramaic, that word heart was not represented the phys- representing the physical organ or anything to do with what we today call the heart, but rather they were talking about what's going on in the unconscious mind, what we hold out of awareness in the ancient Aramaic. There's a code word they used that was the heart. So take care of the heart. Take care of what's unconscious in you because they're the energy patterns that end up becoming the issues in your life. That's what contributes to hostile and fearful constructs in the mind. That's what sets up the energy fields that draw people in to play out patterns that you might otherwise want to avoid. 
And there's why the key tool of forgiveness is so important because it's a way to get out of your head into your heart, a way to access what's hidden in the mind, the unconscious aspect of self, and by bringing it forward in the presence of love to dissolve it, to remove it from your structure, to create a a transmutation energy that removes negative dynamics and leaves you with a, a whole different experience of yourself and what's going on in the world around you. So take care of the heart. Take care of the unconscious. For that's where the power is accumulated. Out of it, they said, are the issues in life. The reason for that is because we've created such a powerful, unnatural condition through denial, through the wish that we could pretend that everybody else is the problem in our lives, that the source of the real problems, literally our own hearts, our own unconscious minds, we tend to hide from ourselves. And, of course, when we hide them from ourselves, you know, the simple act of hiding means I have to push on it. If I push on it, I just added energy to it. Every energy, by definition, energy is motion, and everything that is in motion creates an energy wave, creates results. The harder I push on something, you know, imagine that I've got a a three-foot diameter spring that stands three feet high. It's sitting there on the floor. Can it do anything? Absolutely not. But what happens if I push down on it and put the lock on it? I push down on it again and again and again and again, and each time I lock it down and it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. What happens when I let the lock off? Kaboom! It's going to fly all of that potential energy held in abeyance all of a sudden cuts loose. Well, in a similar way, when we live in the game of denial, and that word deny being to think or speak as though something outside of us is the cause of what's moving inside of us, we're instructing the mind, which is an evidential device, that we're really not interested in the truth, we're really not interested in seeing our part in what's going on, but rather we want the mind to make it up that it's all about somebody else. And so out of the hidden dynamics in the mind, we generate constructs, perceptions, and if the mind's been given instructions to blame somebody else, and the, the recognizing that the nature of the human mind is evidential, then with the instruction that this is your fault, the mind builds me a construct showing me, out of my own internal dynamics, that whatever is going on in my life is your fault. And through that action, we literally create what's called an unconscious mind. Because in order to believe that you're the cause of what's moving in me, I, of course, have to hide what's moving in me. The objective of the forgiveness process is to bring whatever's hiding in me to awareness and to empower people to work through those dynamics. So to do something different than living in this game of blame and it's all everybody else's fault. When one plays the blame and the fault game, They're engaging in an energy quality that is disintegrative in nature. And that means that 
as long as we're engaging in a disintegrative energy, we're engaging in an energy that assaults the tissue structure that's made for love, and through that assault, by bringing a discordant energy into tissue, we create discordant structures within our physiology. We call them diseases. The objective of forgiveness is to uncover any unconscious dynamics in your life or any time in your bloodline. Any time that denial has ever occurred and has never been resolved and involves goals, those energetic patterns are stored within the genes and passed from generation to generation to generation. You remember in the Aramaic, they said the sins of the fathers. And remember now, be careful you don't get into the Greek idea of sin. That's just an archery term. It means off the mark. It doesn't have anything to do with the whole Greek concept of sin. It's just an energy that's off the mark. But when they said the wages of sin is death, they were talking about how physiology works. If you put a disintegrative energy into your tissue structure, then your tissue structure is going to experience the effects of that disintegrative energy. And that means disease, suffering, and if it goes on long enough, ultimately death. You might remember there's another ancient quote from those ancient scriptures that said that with man, death began. We made the process of death up. How did we do that? By living in denial. By thinking and speaking that whatever's moving in us is caused by someone else, thus creating dis-ease conditions within the tissue structure and setting up energy fields that draw people in to play out those dis-ease energies. What forgiveness does is it, and we talked about this the other day, that it opens the veil of the temple. You remember when they said the veil of the temple must be rent in twain, torn in two. They weren't talking about a purple curtain in a church. They were talking about the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious mind. That's the veil of the temple. It's unnatural for us to have an unconscious. Whenever we're in upset and disturbance, pain, trauma, and we're looking outside of ourselves, we're hiding something in our own unconscious minds. And our minds will show us a world of false pictures where everybody else is the problem. So once again, the objective of forgiveness is to rectify that game, step back into a life and into a world where you get to live truly as love, truly as a human being, and by so doing, function as the presence of love. Freeing yourself from energetic dynamics within yourself or within your relationships where hostility and fear have a place. And recognizing that if stored in your heart there's some form of hostility or fear, Allowing that hostility or fear to surface through forgiveness is a way of accessing the hidden dynamics and processing those energies out of the structure. That's the bottom line of this work. 
So, Ms. Jeannie, did you have another section that you wanted to read to us? Well, I'm continue reading. She was just asking me something, so I, I kind of was sidetracked there for a moment, but I can continue reading. Let me see. Nobody's got a hand up. So whatever you think. Go for it. Okay. Just a second, sweetie. I'm going to read some more. So this is very important to better understand what it's like to have these energies stored within you. Let's first examine what it would be like if nothing was stored. What if everything just passed right through you? For example, when you're driving down a highway, you probably pass thousands of trees. They don't leave impressions on you. They're gone as soon as they are perceived. While you're driving, you see trees, you see buildings, you see cars, and none of these making, make lasting impressions on you. There's just a momentary impression that allows you to see them. Though they do come in through the senses and make impressions upon your mind, as quickly as the impressions are made, they are released. When you have no personal issues with them, impressions process freely. This is how the overall system of perception is meant to work. It's meant to take things in, allow you to experience them, and then let them pass through so that you're fully present in the next moment. While this system is in a working operative state, you are fine and it is fine. You're simply having experience after experience. Driving is an experience. Trees passing by are an experience. And cars passing by are an experience. These experiences are gifts that are being given to you like a great movie. They are passing into you, awakening and stimulating you. They are actually having a profound effect on you. Moment after moment, experiences are coming in and you're learning and growing. Your heart and mind are expanding and you are being touched at a very deep level. If the... If experience is the best teacher, there's nothing that comes close to the experience of life. What it means to live life is to experience the moment that is passing through you and then experience the next moment and then the next. Many different experiences will come in and pass through you. It's a phenomenal system when it's working properly. If you could live in that state, you would be fully you would be a fully aware being. That is how an awakened being here in the lives here in the now. They're present. Life is present. The wholeness of life is passing through them. Imagine if you were so fully present during each experience of life that it was touching you to the depth of your being. Every moment would be stimulating, moving experience, because you would be completely open and life would be flowing right through you. But that's not what happens inside most of us. Instead, it's more like you're driving down the street, here come the trees, <clears throat> come the cars, and it's all passing right through you with no trouble. Then inevitably, something comes in that doesn't make it through. 
this there was this one car, a light blue Ford Mustang that looked like your girlfriend's car. But as it passed by, you noticed two people hugging in the front seat. At least it looked like they were hugging, and it sure looked like your girlfriend's car. But it was a car just like all the other cars, wasn't it? No. It wasn't just like all the other cars to you. Do you want me to stop there, or you want me to keep on? Well, let's uh, let's stop on that idea and look at the idea that of of reality once again. That you know, in, in the example that he's using, gee, it looks like quote unquote my girlfriend's car. What does that mean? That means that brain cells are resonated in me that might put all kinds of meanings into uh, you know something as simple as a car driving down the road. And uh, if there's disturbance, if there's upset, gee, there's somebody hugging in the car and it's my girlfriend and oh my gosh, and what kind of dynamics might go on from the unconscious part of the mind. The objective with this work is to remove all dynamics in the mind that could possibly hold any form of hostility or fear and to align every aspect of this body-mind unit with the state of being that we were created in, which is love. So that everything that is unlike love is faced, brought forward, if if it's of a, a disintegrative nature, if it's based in some form of hostility or fear, then bringing the root of it forward through forgiveness so that ex- through exposure to love, any untoward energetic dynamics held in the mind can be dissolved. As long as those dynamics are held in the unconscious, are held hidden, oh, I don't want to look at that, I don't want to feel with that, I don't want to deal with that, then anything that resonates that particular set of brain cells into activity is going to tend to strengthen the content of the mind. Where the objective here is, if it's based in hostility or fear, to weaken the content of the mind so that the mind has no interpretation of events based in hostility or fear. Achieving a state of serenity through all experiences rather than disturbance that the average person blames on somebody outside of them. Why are you upset? Oh, because of what such and such did or such and such said or what's going to happen, what happened yesterday, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's happening today. What would life be like if it simply were not possible to step into a space where there's any form of hostility or fear still unresolved within the mind, that what comes forward naturally is simply confidence, awareness, and the presence of love. I'd offer that's what a human life is designed to look like. But because we tend to come from generations and generations and generations, and you look at that story of the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years, and you realize that it's not a story about a hot, standy place, but the desert is a code word for the unconscious. 
And the average person tends to, in our culture, spend usually about 40 years or so kind of wandering around, wondering which end is up and why is this happening to me again or why are they doing this to me again and it's all somebody else's fault. By collapsing, which is what forgiveness does, the hostility and fear-based content of the unconscious mind, transmuting the unconscious content based in any form of hostility or fear, one is freed from those unconscious dynamics. A whole different game ensues, a whole different process. At that point, every event in life becomes an event based in the dynamics of sweetness, the dynamics of love, and the need to, which so many people do, to run away. You know, you look at how much alcohol and drug use and junk food and sugar and caffeine and nicotine there is in our culture. And each of those things is a signal that someone's trying to run away from something, trying to escape something. What if we lived as human beings and, and we're just right there to embrace whatever comes next? How different would the game of life be? We're here to make that understanding available in its simplest form and support people in, quote-unquote, taking care of their own unconscious, the heart, and exiting, living in an unconscious mode and moving into what's really possible. If you look into the ancient scriptures, they, they spoke about this place called the desert. And then the alternative to that was what was called the promised land. Is that a physical place? No. It's living from a space where with no unresolved hostility or fear in you, you live in confidence, you live in conscious creative mode bringing about those results that you would like to be bringing about in your life. So the promised land, again, isn't a place, it isn't some geographical location, but it is the result of one doing the work of healing, the work of forgiveness, the work of removal of generations of hostility and fear, and becoming aware of one's function consciously, purposely creating what happens in their lives, as opposed to always looking for something out there that's the problem. And if you're out there in listener land, and this conversation is making sense, or something about it isn't making sense, or something about it needs to be clarified, or you simply have a question about anything that we're doing with this work, the call-in number for the show, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show. And then if you want to have a conversation, push 1, and that raises a hand in the control panel. Jeannie will introduce you by your area code, and we'll be having a conversation. And I'd love to have a conversation with you. So push one. Let's say hello. What's on your mind? How goes your process? 
Miss Jeannie, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anything happening in the phone queue? Okay. Jeannie tells me that we've got a problem. I don't know if you can hear me or not. She said I had disappeared. So she's dialing back in, and if uh, that resolves the problem, great. Otherwise, I'll dial back in as well. So, Ms. Jeannie, can you hear me? Okay, um, I've got two hands You're up. You're live so let's see. Okay, good. It's probably just my phone. So we've got two hands up. Let's see who we got. Five two let's zero. Go You're on the air. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Um, hey there, young lady. How are you? Well, I I, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I wanted to explain an experience, and um, the other day I was calling car. Okay, it's an experience. I had a deck of cards in my hand. I was calling cards, right? And I put the one card down, and I said, King of, I'm going to make up. One. I know it was a king. I said king of the suit, spades. Okay, I'll just say spades. King of spades. And my friend in the group said, Audrey, that's a seven of diamonds. I looked at it. I said, okay, king of spades. She said, Audrey, that's a seven of diamonds. I purposely got near the card, looked at it again called the same thing. She said the same thing. And then she said, Audrey, focus, look. It's a seven of diamonds. I looked. And it was a seven of diamonds. And then I started laughing. Michael, please explain what's happening to Michael. My goodness. Well, not having been there, I'm not sure, Audrey. <clears throat> okay. You know, right. perception is is a construct of the mind. So, I mean, in in a state of hypnosis, we can tell someone to see something that clearly is not there, or is the opposite of what's there. Uh, you know, I don't know where you focus for some reason on the king and and having that focus. Is that what your mind literally generated as a picture? I, you know, I, I don't know. Okay, well. Not I'll, sure how I would explain okay. that one. All right. Well, I'll just have fun with it. And thank you very much. And looking forward to the next caller's question. Thank you, Michael. All right, young lady. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Blessings. Okay, our next caller is a voice from the past. We haven't heard from Doug in a long time. 314, you're on the air. Well, welcome, young Hello man. There. How are you? I'm, I'm all right. Awesome. I'm Where are you in uh, St. Louis? 
I'm in St. Louis. Yes, I am. Cool. Yeah. Well, what's happening in your world? What's um, exciting? What's on your mind today? Well, what's happening in my life is I'm 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 doing a pretty good job of just staying as connected as I can to the flow of life and the divine. And that's very helpful. And sometimes what comes up for me is still uh, grief or sadness about, you know, I've been extremely attached to this relationship. And basically we are, you know, we it's a very interesting thing because I helped her up there with things. She came down here, helped me a little I went back up there, helped her some, and and in that process, got all my things back here, and and you know, we we did a lot of harvesting, a lot of harvesting about a relationship, a lot of very growthful understanding, and very delicious uh, expansion of understanding of things. I thought we actually got together after three or four months apart to start that, which I just explained by going to Harbin Hot Springs in California. And and now now we have no scheduled plans <laughs> you know, to engage. Uh, but we talk most every day. And so that's the latitude of it. And I was listening to an audio that I made to myself mostly that ended up flowing into a conversation with her that was also on the recording in 2021. And what I noticed when I listened to it is how I kept saying to myself in the first part of that how she was the most important thing in my life. I wanted her to be the most important thing in my life. I was trying to make her the most important thing in my life. And I have felt that way. And so what I'm calling for is sort of the next step in clarity or process because I recognize when I listen to that that I can't possibly be uh, happy, really, feel content in a way, I don't think. It's like recognize that making her the most important thing in my life, which I did for a good reason because in the past, too often I've left relationships for like some idea that there's something better somewhere else. And in this case, I was determined not to do that. And it was a conscious choice to make her the focus of my life, the love of my life, uh, and I did all of that. But, but part of the doing of it also became a trap because she was moving away from me the last three or four years. And I feel like right now what I'm looking for is how to see all of that, then whatever it is, I'm not really asking a very specific question here, but it's like I see that making her, and she had said it to me before, that she couldn't be the most important thing in my life. And I would say, yeah, under God, you know, but but I get that much, but (laughs) it was actually too much. It was like not something she wanted to be. But for me, it was part of uh, part of how I thought 
I could be most valuable in her life by making her the most important and most valuable. So I'm just seeing that, just seeing how much that was a trap for me in so many ways and now kind of trying to do with my emotions still further, which I do great when I really connect with God. And then at other times these emotions come up, you know, the unconscious comes up and I'll have an hour or two of feeling a lot and, you know, still going through that. Because it's sort of a dilemma for me. I, I've said an awful lot here without letting you see anything, and I have a habit of doing that. But the dilemma is I can't really find happiness, I don't think, as long as I keep making her that important when she doesn't want to be that in my life. And so I'm just open to ideas and thoughts. Uh, that's enough to talk from me, I think. Okay. Well, what I hear you saying... Uh, how to, Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, what I hear you saying is that the cause or the support, the source of your happiness is outside of you. And yep. my offering would be that's got to be the biggest fraud that ever existed. Yep. That if you put that outside of you, then you just put a, a block in your mind uh, an attachment, right? I, what I hear you keying into is attachment here, and that that attachment then is going to be the thing that uh, blocks you from tapping into who you really are as a human being, which is where the real source of fulfillment is. Yeah, and that is what I feel when I am in my my better states more now than ever it's like i i can do that and then these other patterns are still in there and this is a great a great insight just saying it like you did uh source of happiness outside of self that's like yeah i can sure see that and and yet i guess it's a curiosity for me how does one become really, truly, deeply committed to one individual, no matter what, uh, how does one do that in, in an well, appropriate for me, way? Yeah. For me, the first step is do I show up as wholeness or do I show up as need? If you have yeah. two people who show up in a relationship as need, chances are that relationship is not going to be very fulfilling. But, you know, to me, the first order of business is, do I show, well, oh, yeah, I've got work to do. Yes, I'm going to have to work through some things. But do I show up whole or am I showing up expecting someone else to, to fulfill what's missing in me? And until I really come into the experience of myself as who I am as the created essence of love. That That's the only source of love that anyone's ever going to experience. The other stuff is basically just fake. So when I show up whole, ready to extend and share my wholeness, then I can create, you know, 
real commitment and real relationship. There's, I, I don't know if you've ever been in an intensive with all the intensives you've done over the years where we've done the cutting of attachments. Do you remember the experiment or the exercise that we do for cutting attachments? I don't believe I do. It's not coming to mind. Okay. So as long as I have unconscious attachments to someone, I'm going to tend to take whatever's unresolved under those attachments, and that's going to keep bringing interference into my life. And Can if I say to myself, well, I, I, I don't think I comprehend that as deeply as I want what you just said. Okay. As long as I have attachments, I'm going to tend to take whatever's unconscious and and what? I didn't quite comprehend that. It's, that seemed important to me. So if I if I hold a belief that I can't be whole without you, then I'm going to be attached to you, and that attachment is what's going to block me from being whole. I don't got show it. up as a whole human being if I think you've got what makes me fulfilled. Yep, got that. Okay, like a little circle there. Yep. Okay. And so by cutting the attachments, the emotional strings that tend to keep that pattern going, I get to look at what lies underneath it that holds this belief that I'm not whole without you. Can I be whole without you? Can you be whole without me? And can we say, okay, now let's go play together. That's a different game than, well, half of me's here and I need you to be the other half so that I can feel whole. That's always going to lead to frustration and 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 what's going to show up is the unresolved part of me that's holding me out of wholeness. Clearly, and I, I'm sure that there is probably, well, I'm sure there is dynamic of that going on. It might, maybe, maybe that's exactly what I need to more clearly see because when I look at my situation now, I feel like I don't feel... I feel like I feel whole, but I feel like I trained and enjoyed and chose to make her a source of joy and happiness in my life, to enjoy her joy, to enjoy her who she is, to just enjoy so much of what she is and, and that, that I, in a way I guess that became my – that almost became – so important to me that I didn't feel whole without it. I think I think that maybe something like that. And I think I did that because I wanted to make sure. I mean, in the beginning, she wanted marriage and was more committed to me. And it's like I, I was like, I need to be 100% congruent to that. I need to be so committed that I know that I will be be absolutely there for the rest of my life if we do this. And it was a goal to get there. 
And so it was a conscious process of building that element of perception into me. And and then I can see now perhaps, and I'm interested in your feedback on these thoughts, but how that literally became a condition that then I felt unwhole without it, without the ability to appreciate and enjoy her and spend time with her, and which is kind of interesting how these things go in circles. And that's the definition of attachment. Yep. It became you're that. the source of my joy. You know, if if you're the source of my joy, uh, certainly the truth of joy, which is living as a human being, isn't available to me. You might remember a song a few decades back, "Looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces." If I don't show up right. with love and I think I've got to get it to you, I'm never going to be able to fully experience it or experience fulfillment. Once I've got that, once you've got that, and we decide, oh, okay, so let's create relationship, then we can share that fulfillment together. But each of us has to show up whole to do that. And wholeness, I would offer, comes out of your relationship with the active presence of love. Not out of someone else is going to make this happen for me. Yeah, the interesting nuance for me is that I always felt like I was responsible for feeling the joy that I felt as towards her. And my goals about that um, I can see that I wanted to continue to express and enjoy the expression of divinity and the beauty, beauty of God with her, and that that I that I felt like I was obviously the only one who could feel, create, or generate joy in me. But I, but I set myself up so that I felt that as towards her, and I enjoyed all these things about her. And and then when that wouldn't be possible, then I would feel that's when I felt such a lack or an empty space that then I was not whole anymore, and and therefore attached. And I think that what's important for me as I'm speaking to you is that I feel like there was. The reason, part of the reason for doing that was probably born out of some kind of insecurity that I would not be able to be a committed enough partner without doing that. It's like, why, why, why would I need to make that effort? Why would I need to say I need to make her the most important and the, so, you know, the person that I enjoy being with so much that it's just, there's nothing else I want. No one else I'll ever want. I know this is what I want. And and that, I think, probably came out of some kind of insecurity that, that like, if I'm going to be in this committed place, that I'm going to do that better than I've ever done it before because I've never been able to sustain that this long. And that phrase is a key. Something like that. Better than I've ever done it before. Okay, help would, 
to me would indicate the possibility that there's you you're familiar with the codependence principle and the codependent messages that we get and to me that would reflect the possibility that there's some kind of a message that probably came from power person about how you'll never be good enough for you even on your own Well, I definitely feel like I, I'm sure that message is in me. There's no question about that. But I, in this context, I feel like layers of guilt and feeling bad about not being able to be what other relationships have wanted me to be for them. When someone else has felt about me like I now feel about her, more or less, it's like I and I couldn't get there, or I, I was like, I can't do this. I don't want to, <laughs> to, I don't have it in me to genuinely feel that. And I felt bad about that. In? Go yes, for it, Jeannie. I think so. What popped up for me while you were talking just there, Doug, was that because of the the guilt and all of the, you know, I've never been able to hold this relationship before and all that, that perhaps instead of just allowing it to be that you're like straining and struggling to make it be. Well, I was without a question, Jeannie, deciding consciously I'm going to make this become I'm going to I'm going to take responsibility for aligning my thinking and my perceptions and my heart so that I am absolutely going to be able to be committed here and hold that commitment. And and part of that process was a cultivation of letting go of anything I didn't like and being able to just appreciate everything about her more deeply. And and And, and that led to more and more you know, and and I was doing that in part in the beginning just to get there, and then it began to be, I think, something I also tried to do because I thought it would help hold us together when I felt like the relationship was being threatened. And and so so you're saying that just to, I mean, help me more with what you're trying to. To, to, to help me understand, well, but I think it is sort of to, like just relax. Yeah, you know, Michael uses the example of you know being love, and that we are, you know, like prayer is setting a trap for God. It's like the antenna on the roof. If it's aligned properly, it just captures, you know, that channel that you're wanting to see, and it puts forth a clear picture. But if you you know, strain and struggle and try to force the antenna to go a certain way and you bend the arms and, and all this, trying to make it grab that channel, you know, you might get there and you might not, but you would get there easier and have a clearer picture if you were just in alignment. That was the picture that came to me as as I was saying, you know, that instead of just letting it flow and letting it happen and just being love, 
that the strain and struggle to try to force it was actually pushing it further away. Yeah, well, it did. It, I think it did. It probably did. I, I, the irony is that I thought it would help. You know, and, and, and the part of the reason that I would justify that doing that or felt that that was necessary for me is because I felt like I was a bent antenna and I had to get it straightened out. Like like the, the personality that I had was not based on experience capable of feeling confident about making a commitment like that and knowing that it would be solid in me all the way through, that I wouldn't be where I had been in the past, in particular with my marriage, where I'm in a situation because someone else wants to be in it, and then I'm trying to make it work for me, but really I never wanted to be. It's not not alignment for me. It's not really what I wanted to be doing, uh, and and or, you know, people want to be with you, and you don't necessarily want to be that committed and forever with them. That sort of thing in my past. It's like how else am I gonna? If I don't consciously intervene, and change who I am, how am I gonna become the man that I want to be? Who can be confident? in holding the space of love and love as towards that I want to hold to honor this relationship and to honor my commitment in it. So, so no, I did not just let it happen at all. I, I went after it internally. And yet the the irony that I'm seeing now is that that became my also became my dysfunction and my uh, my non-wholeness within myself, in a sense. And I think it all roots probably from some kind of insecurity. Uh, you know, yeah, that's att- that's attachment. what I really understand. Yeah, I think attachment, if you really look, comes from some sort of perceived deficiency. Yeah. And and letting go of the attachment can open the space for whatever the underlying energy is to float to the surface for healing. Yeah, that's, that's very, very good. Yeah. So there's so, a simple so, so, exercise. So say the last part again. Okay, so I just want to, I'm writing it down too. Attachment comes from some form of Attachment protection. deficiency. D- deficiency. And and then you said the part that I didn't get fully is how how, how opening, what, what doing what oh, allows for that. When I, when I let go of, when I let, it's the attachment, the focus out there, that keeps whatever the deficiency energy is that I need to resolve hidden under the surface. So letting go of the attachment, it's like, you know, there's a grip with attachment that 
keep something yeah. hidden under the surface. When you let go of the attachment, that creates the space for whatever this perceived deficiency is to surface and be worked through. Yeah, that's it. Good. Exactly. Okay. Surface. So there's a, a simple exercise that we've developed over the years that can be a really powerful way of letting go of those attachments, and it's a you know pretty simple and straightforward to do. Uh, I've seen some people do it, and it hasn't made much of a difference in their lives, and I've seen other people do it, and it's changed everything about their lives and or about relationships. So if you'd like to, we could walk through that exercise. And actually, anybody that's listening, if you've got, uh, you know, some sort of an attachment thing going on somewhere in your life, it's it's like the attachment that keeps the trauma cycling and circling and hidden. So if you'd like to do that release exercise, we can do it. It's pretty simple and straightforward. Yes. Okay. Let's go for it. So then what I'm, I'm going to offer some instructions and and uh, we'll utilize your circumstance as the example, but anybody else who'd like to do the exercise, if you just replace the words with whatever your own personal situation is and uh, and just see what happens. See what, what, you know, when we complete it, just take a minute in stillness and just see what floats to the surface. Very much like with the forgiveness process, when a goal is canceled, all of a sudden one drops into places that previously have been hidden. So, and and we've just got a minute left, so we're going to have to roll with it. It only takes a minute to do, but, and or if we need to, we can pick it up and uh, complete it tomorrow. Actually, we're, we're getting kind of locked in on time. The show's going to cut us off in, in less than a minute, so I don't think we've really got time to work through it. But if you want to start out tomorrow's show with it, let's go for it. All right, sir. That's what we'll do. All right. Thank in the meantime, we'll hold the space. Great. Awesome. Thank All you right. very much. I appreciate that a lot. Okay. Okay. All right. Lots of love and blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And tomorrow we'll start out with this attachment exercise. And anybody that's ready, there's something in your life that you feel like you're attached to, if you'd like to join us and do that, then we'll start out with that in the show tomorrow. In the meantime, have the best year you have your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache, as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www. Dot, dot org.